0: You're listening to Special Education Matters, a regular podcast about things that matter in special education. I'm your host, Michael Boll, and I am the proud father of an 18-year-old boy with autism. California Regional Centers are nonprofit, private corporations that contract with the Department of Developmental Services to provide or coordinate services and supports for individuals with developmental disabilities. Okay, so that comes from their website, but you might wonder what it is they actually do. Are they any good and who has access to them and for how long? To get some answers to those questions, I welcome back attorney Rebecca Diddams, who worked for the Lanterman Regional Center in Los Angeles. She has some great inside information on how the regional centers work in California. Enjoy the conversation. Rebecca Diddams, thanks so much for coming back on to the program. My pleasure. Today, we're going to talk all about regional centers, and since you are a resident expert on that, I thank you so much for doing that. And we can start off with the uh, beginning questions are just, what is a regional center?
1: Okay, so a regional center, it's unique to California. There's 21 all throughout the state, so wherever you are in California, you're covered by a regional center. Um, they started in the 60s, after parents got fed up with not having enough government support for their kids with developmental disabilities. Um, so regional centers now cover cradle-to-grave services um, for people with one of five eligible categories, um, intellectual disability, autism, cerebral palsy, epilepsy, and other things that look like those, like Down syndrome, mm-hmm. hydrocephaly.
0: And we talked before the show, You you break it down into basic age categories. Let's start with zero to three. What sort of services would uh, the zero to three category offer?
1: So zero to three is called early start, and it actually wants to provide intensive intervention to reduce the needs for services later. So kiddos who are zero to three can um, be eligible for services if they have a significant deficit in one of the five major functions of life, like cognitive or physical functioning. and they can receive vision therapy, speech and language therapy, play groups, respite—a whole bunch of different services—to help them get a good start.
0: Yeah, they talk about the importance of early intervention. Are, are, we, are we seeing a, a big increase? Do you think in the number of parents that are bringing kids in at that age range now?
1: It seems like the awareness is is increasing, um, definitely, and we're we're seeing more parents invested in getting whatever supports they can as early as they can, which is fantastic.
0: And what would that look like? So, you know, for example, I have a son with autism. I brought him in when he was one or two. Would he have just received 500 hours a week of ABA or something like that? Or what is available on the menu?
1: (laughs) So it's going to be different for each and every kid. Um, For zero to three, they develop an IFSP, an Individualized Family Support Plan. For three and up, they develop an IPP, just because they like different acronyms, an Individualized Program Plan. And it's kind of like the regional center version of an IEP what services does this kiddo need in order to be successful in the goals that we've decided? Only these goals are for life at home, life in the community, like having Mm -hmm. good oral health or behaving well or communicating with your family. And then the service coordinator, the social worker assigned to you through the regional center, works with the family to help meet those needs based on this plan.
0: Okay. So if I'm a parent and I'm Going back to the younger group, and I'm just kind of worried about my son is not developing appropriately, can Mm -hmm. I just call them up and they'll do an assessment and they'll let me know from there about my fears?
1: Absolutely. So at any age, um, sometimes kids can um, develop something. Uh, For example, a sudden onset of epilepsy at a later age. Mm -hmm. I had a kid who developed that at eight years old. Um, As long as it's before 18, they can call the regional center and request an intake assessment the regional center will conduct all those assessments and then determine if the child is eligible.
0: But I'm guessing the biggest entry point is probably in the early years then.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right. So zero to three services are done because that's outside of the school district, right? Now Mm -hmm. we're talking from three on up. Then the school district gets involved at that point. How does, what's the relationship between the school district and then the regional center?
1: So around two years, six months, Um, they start the transition. Um, The service coordinator from the regional center uh, contacts the school district, lets them know, hey, we've got this kiddo that we want you to have eyes on. Um, On their side, the regional center starts doing their own assessments again, um, because now from the early start developmental delay uh, eligibility, it's changing to one of those five developmental disability categories. So regional center makes sure kiddo is still eligible, And they notify the school district. And then as they're getting closer to three, they sit down and have that first IEP meeting with the Mm -hmm. school, figuring out which school assessments to do, all of those things. And then after three, once kiddo starts in school, the school is required under IDEA and all those other laws to provide everything that the child needs to benefit from their education, which means that regional center has to provide everything else, everything not related to education.
0: So what does that mean? Like, what does that look like?
1: So regional center functions as a network. Um, We call the Mm. social workers service coordinators specifically because they are intended to help coordinate the services for the families. Let them know what's available as generic services, for example, through Medi-Cal, through community services, um, free and low cost programs. And then, if the family isn't able to access the child's needs through those methods, then the regional center can pay for some services, um, which needs to go through a certain uh, approval process. Generally,
0: okay. So, if I'm once I'm transitioning to the school, am I going to see my services? I mean, is the school going to be able to provide the same level of services that the regional center provided, or am I going to see a change? Maybe, maybe not for the better.
1: A lot of parents do get surprised when they move from early start services to school-age services. Um, because it's it so much better. It does not carry over specifically. Exactly. Uh, it's not so, so early much better. Okay. <laughs> no, no. Early start typically is better, unfortunately, because it's that focus on intensive intervention. Um, mm-hmm. So once they hit three, a lot of parents think that they're going to see everything on the early start plan carried over into the IEP. Or into the program plan through regional center. And it doesn't necessarily work that way. There are some services that there isn't even really a parallel. So it's again, just like with an IEP, taking the child where you find them and figuring out what do we need to meet this kiddos um, needs to fix their deficits, both in the school setting and in the regional center setting. And because those two roles are shared, Neither plan is going to be completely comprehensive. They're going to hopefully dovetail together to meet all the kiddos needs.
0: So can I use, let's say, you know, I'm getting X amount of uh, speech therapy in the regional center at a younger age and it, my son turns three or four and moves on to kindergarten. Uh, can I use that as an argument saying, hey, look, when he, before he was getting a lot of ser- these services, I'd like them now as well.
1: Mm -hmm. You certainly can use that as a basis for argument, saying you identified this need. It was something that he really needed a lot of intervention in. And three is still a time for early intervention. Um, It's not like they're about to graduate, which builds up a great point about what to do if the regional center says no. Um, Just like with the special education process, there's an appeals process. Mm -hmm. So if the regional center denies a service that you have requested, you can appeal it um, and there's three different levels. You can have a conversation with someone higher up in the regional center who is objective about your case, doesn't know it. You can attend mediation, or you can have a hearing with an administrative hearings judge.
0: All right. And, it, and that, you know, we talked before, that's a l- little bit less common in the regional centers than it would be, let's say, in a school district, right? I mean, because yeah. they're, they're more designed to help you out. And does it vary also by regional center? Maybe some have a lot higher level of appeals versus another?
1: It Uh, The regional centers vary a lot. They're each run by their own executive director and board. Uh, Uh They have their own budgets um, and a different number of clients or a different uh, geographical area. So they do vary a lot in between them. But there are um, remedies. If you don't like your service coordinator, you can certainly ask for a different one. Um, You can talk with your service coordinator supervisor. There's a lot of things built in to help you get what you need.
0: Okay. I don't know if you know the answer to this, but like, do you think, do you find parents feel, and it might vary a lot by regional center, that the services are good? Or do you think they're frustrated overall with the services that regional centers provide?
1: I think the biggest frustration from parents is when they come in not knowing the purpose of the regional center is as a supportive network. Regional uh-huh. center doesn't come in and pay for all the services. So a lot wow. of parents do get frustrated when they have to work through Medi Cal, their own insurance, and other generic services first. But in order to use their funding effectively and to provide the most services for the most amount of people, that is the way regional center set up. And for parents who understand that process, Uh, it does work really well and can be very supportive for them.
0: All right. So it's not like I can walk in and say, hey, I'm freaking out here, fix my kid.
1: It is a process. And it's really important that parents work closely with their service coordinator, let them know about changes, um, if they start saying new words, if their health goes Mm -hmm. downhill. So they really keep them up to date so that service coordinator can help them meet the needs as they come up.
0: All right. Now we talked about zero to three, three plus, but then there's the another batch, right? The older kids, we're talking post high school. Or is there another group in between that?
1: So um, from three to about 15, they'll be assigned to a school mm-hmm. age service coordinator. From about okay. 15 to 22, they'll be with a transition age coordinator. And then 22 for the rest of their life, they they will be assigned to a service coordinator based on their geographical area typically.
0: Yeah. Okay. So what happens from 15 to 22? And then later, let's talk about 22 plus.
1: So we know that on the school side, from about 15 to 22, kiddos are transitioning to their age of adulthood. Maybe it's living independently, Mm -hmm. um, getting a job, further education. And at that point, the regional center is starting to take back the reins. Because once that kiddo is done with school, when they graduate at mm-hmm. 18 or when they get their certificate at 22. Now regional center is responsible again for supervising all their needs, not just those that aren't related to education. So that can mean helping them find supported work, uh, making sure that they are in independent living or supported housing that makes sense for them. Sometimes regional centers even have limited conservatorships over their clients, for example, uh, managing really? their financials. Mm-hmm.
0: So if uh, somebody said their parents aren't around or whatever, the regional center can take that up for them.
1: Absolutely. So services for adults can be fairly comprehensive. Again, there's the preference to use the generic services first, but the service coordinators can help them manage pretty much all parts of their life.
0: Wow. So, I mean, is it typical to say, you know, my son's almost 19 now, but let's say he was 30 and... I, w- I was still involved at that point because I'm still young enough. Is mm-hmm. it typical for the regional center to be involved or is it mostly with, let's say, uh, people or adults that are older and don't have uh, any other support network left or- left to help them?
1: Uh, It's typical for the regional center to be involved throughout the child's life and into their adulthood, Um, but they're obviously going to have less of a role if the parents are still involved. But regardless of family involvement, the big focus is on person-centered planning and Mm self-determination. So especially as kids get older and more aware of their own situation, the goal of regional centers is to make sure that their choices, their needs are listened to and to work with the team, family, service coordinators, other service providers, to make sure that those needs and wants are met in a way that makes sense for that,
0: that person. Okay, so should I expect, do you think, like, should you expect that be involved in the regional center the rest of your life once you start? Let's say you have a fairly significant diagnosis at an early age. Will they probably be involved for the rest of your life?
1: Typically, as soon as you get eligibility at three Uh for one of those developmental disabilities, that eligibility continues for the rest of your life. Even if it's not a significant diagnosis, Uh there's a presumption that these are lifelong disabilities. So there's a presumption that you will have support for the rest of your life. It'll just uh, depend on the severity of the disability, how much support you need.
0: I see. Now there's multiple regional centers throughout the state. So I'm going to guess the quality perhaps varies by the regional center. Is there a way to is that true? And if, if so, is there a way to determine which regional centers are stronger than others?
1: There is a difference in quality. Um, I My personal experience is with Lannerman Regional Center in Los Angeles, which is one of the two founding regional centers. And they have a pretty mm-hmm. robust uh, family resource center, different outreach programs. And I feel like generally they offer a lot to their clients. Other regional centers may not have as many resources Or have clients that are more spread out and so don't offer quite as much. But it's going to depend a lot on the needs of the individual person and the other Uh factors that are playing into it. For example, if you have a kiddo in school, he's in a great district, getting great services on the IEP, but the regional center is not so hot, I wouldn't consider moving right away just to try to fix that regional center. I would try to go through uh, different methods first, asking for a different service coordinator, appealing some decisions to try to work it out because we know that getting a good district can be a big thing too.
0: <laughs> sure. And, and you know, like I guess within a, any district, there are great educators within there. If you find the right educator, you're fine. I guess it could be the same. With a regional center, if you just switch perhaps providers or within the group, you might find okay. somebody that suits your needs better.
1: Absolutely. There was definitely a range. Um, And some were great service coordinators, but just clicked well with some clients and not with others. Mm -hmm. So it's worth it to try to play the field a little bit if you feel dissatisfied.
0: I'm wondering about funding. Like we always hear about in schools that there's a fight to get enough funding for special education. Does the regional center feel those kinds of pressures or are they better funded?
1: So the regional center is a government-contracted 501c3 nonprofit. Every year they get a new contract with the government with a certain budget, and then they supplement that budget for things that they can't use that money for with grants, private donations, fundraising. And Mm -hmm. so depending on the supervision of the individual regional center, there may be more or less services available, for example, if the generic services are um, used up what services the regional center can purchase and that just depends on the individual regional center budgeting that chunk of money that they get
0: uh rebecca didams thanks so much for your help this great information i'm sure a lot of parents are really going to appreciate it
1: well glad to be of help pleasure
0: Thanks for listening to another edition of Special Education Matters. For more information, including show notes, head to our website, csnlg.com listen. And if you like what you hear, please uh, consider giving us a review on iTunes. Those reviews bring us lots of happiness. I'm your host, Michael Bull, and we will talk again soon.